Asia Tech Podcast. Voice of the Asian Tech Ecosystem. This is Speech Tech Asia. We're in the Asia Tech Podcast studio. My name's Graham Brown, joined by Robin Turlings from the Startup Body. Robin, welcome. Good morning. Morning. Good to have you here. Originally from the Netherlands. Uh-huh. And how long have you been in Singapore now? Uh, almost four years. Four years. August 2015. Yeah, but not your first time in Asia, right? No. So we've. I, I was the first time in Asia in 1999 in China. Um, by now, I've covered most countries in Asia at least once. Most countries? Most countries. I haven't been to Laos yet and some of the more north western countries yet. Oh, like, okay. so like Central Asia. Yeah, yeah. Central Asia. Um, yeah, it's, I think it's a fascinating continent. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's, the, it's, it's uh, like yourself, I came to Asia in the 90s. Okay. Yeah. And I moved to Japan in the, the mid 90s. Yeah. Obviously, Japan was very different back then. But, you know, like, to see everything that's happening in Asia right now, especially in the startup ecosystems, is such an exciting time. So we're yeah. going to talk about that today. Yeah. Um, the startup buddy, let's talk about that first. Yeah. What, what is it? So for those people that aren't familiar with the startup buddy first, maybe you can just tell us a little bit about what that is, and then we'll take that journey into the Asian startup ecosystem. Yeah, definitely. I think it's necessary to explain. <laughs> uh, so we're a data-driven online accelerator and fundraising platform. Uh, we target new founders, investors, and enterprises. Um, why it needs explaining is uh, a lot of people are familiar with accelerators yeah. uh, in terms of them running uh, programs where you have an intake process, you have a program for a few months, and then you kind of graduate. Our approach is fully online. And the goal that we're trying to achieve is m- making it possible for anybody to become an entrepreneur. Um, the only way we thought that's possible is by doing it online. Mm. So if you're, for example, a new entrepreneur like I was when I came here to Singapore, um, if you if you have never done it before, you need to gather a lot of new skills. And in my case, for example, I'd been a program manager before, but I'd never done my own HR, I'd never done my own marketing, I've n- I'd never actually developed a product uh, by myself. So you need to gather all those skills. And it's very difficult to find out what you need to learn at what stage of your company when you're starting out. Usually you find out that you should have done something six months too late. Mm. So the goal of our platform is actually to make it possible to make all that knowledge and all that experience accessible to anybody. In our opinion, the only way to do that is via the internet. Uh, Since if you're a a startup entrepreneur in Singapore, there is still quite a bit of uh, support. But let's say you're based in Philippines, there's mm. actually very little to leverage on. So that's what we're trying to provide. Okay, so I'm a startup founder, mm-hmm. and or I'm a new startup founder, yep. that's who you're targeting. Yep. So I've just set up my business, or yep. maybe I haven't even got that far yet. No, you don't need to have gotten that far. So your startup buddy basically takes you from zero to whatever, you know, maybe the step N, like 10 steps down the road. Is it it's more of a training or an online education platform or... Yeah, How so, does it help? So, so the platform at the, at the moment is mostly steps, making sure that you do whatever you need to do to build a basic company. Yeah. What we don't protect you from doing is building a stupid company. Right. So you can still build a stupid company with all the basics in place. Yeah. Uh, but we're now working on toolkits, toolkits that actually help you avoid those as well. Right. So how to do proper validation, how to do proper uh, hypothesis testing, etc., etc how to set up correct contracts, for example, as well. Um, You start from the moment you have an ID. So it's very suitable, for example, for students that have a full-time commitment somewhere else. For a lot of, for example, people that are in regular jobs but Mm. walk around with this ID that they kind of want to get started on. Um, And they can work on it in their own uh, uh, pace. So if it takes them one year, two years, for us it doesn't matter that much. Uh, we help you basically to get to the fundraising stage, which for most startups is the the next uh, point that a lot of companies don't make it. Um, by building your company within our platform, you always also gather all the data that you need to actually provide to investors when you get to that stage. Right. Okay. So you basically provide the building blocks yep. and help. So unlike, uh, so I understand. I think people want to put you in a box somewhere yeah. so they understand it. You're not corporate secretarial, so you're not nope. a, in corporation company, right? No. Nope. 
Or you may be partner with somebody like that. So we we collaborate with okay. corporate secretaries, but we're not. All right. You basically say we'll help you with idea validation. This is how you do a product test. This yep. is how you do build a landing page, for example. That's sort of very mechanical yep. Yep. building blocks. Yeah. So you can say to so I understand. You know, I have an idea. Turn this into a business. Yep. You're going to help me with all those building blocks necessary. Everything yep. from like I say, the marketing side to product to validation to getting my business plan together and so on. Exactly. Okay. So so one of the questions that I get a lot is, do you have to go through it in the steps that are kind of like numbered 1 to 13 on our platform? Um, we actually build it in a way which is more natural to most founders because most founders, they start with a product ID. Mm. They don't start with incorporation. That comes like step five or six or something. Uh, especially technical founders, for example, they first build an app or a platform and then they think, hey, I want to start a company. We make sure that through our platform, you don't forget about anything. If you then skip it anyway, that's your prerogative. I mean, we're not forcing anything, but we want to avoid that you get to the fundraising stage that the investor wants to do due diligence and that you didn't do something which was essential for any typical business. Mm. Okay. Great. I think this is this is exactly what's needed right now. And Thank you. Um, so, how does it differ? Say, for example, like just simply doing a course on Udemy. There's a lot of like MVP, like product testing in 24 hours. Those yep. type of courses. How is it different from that? Because it's a platform. What's the the extra element that you bring to that? Um, so, platforms like Udemy or or, or startup school kind of uh, uh, platforms are are one directional. They provide you content in terms yeah. of learning. Uh, maybe they provide you with videos or or, or with articles. Uh, our platform is much more interactive. So, the, for example, the toolkits uh, for validation, they actually let you decide yourself what your product is, what your customers are, what you, f what you think are the things that your customers need, uh, and it helps you iterate. So our platform, the, the structure of it is loosely based on the Lean Startup, mm -hmm. um, mixed with very practical steps. And the idea is also that any entrepreneur typically has too little time already. Um, so we're not forcing you to get to our platform for two hours a day and work on it, because that would actually pull you away from what you're supposed to do, which is building your business. What we're trying to do is give you everything in one place that you need anytime, anywhere, since it's online. And to help you do those things that any entrepreneur needs to do anyway and not forget about it. Mm. Um, that you gather all over time. And as far as we're aware, there's only one or two similar platforms that give that integrated experience to an entrepreneur. Okay, who are those? Just so we can understand what, um, the, where you fit in. Well, so I already mentioned the Lean Startup. Yeah. Um, LTSE is a company in the US uh, based in Silicon Valley by Eric Reeves, the writer mm. of the Lean Startup. Uh, they're following this approach currently as well. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. Um, we need to work together because, you know, you, you take startups or from the idea up until fundraising. Yep. You know, we're very much focused on the other side, which is yep. like now you're in the market fundraising, connecting you yep. with investors. So that's a conversation we need to have off air, right? Definitely. So um, would love to see how we can help startups in, yep. in Asia. And so, I mean, maybe we can talk a bit about that. The mm -hmm. ecosystem here in Asia is... There, there's an interesting um, development here in Asia at the moment. I think it's becoming cheaper and cheaper to start a business. Yep. That, and that's obvious. And now we're seeing what's happening is, is this what was once sort of the first step, which is seed funding. Now mm -hmm. there's a huge growth in pre-seed funding. So people mm -hmm. are raising everything from like 50 to 200,000 yep. sing dollars just to get started. Yep. So with $100,000, you know, I can start a business, I can build a product, I can, you know, run a team for six months. And even in many cases, 100,000 is a lot of money, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, you see a lot of people who can backpack around Asia and do yeah. this for a tenth of that, right? Yeah. So it's becoming very cheap to start a business now. On the other side, it's becoming more expensive to run a business, yeah. you know, to hire. To hire. Yeah, yeah, if I need a computer science or a data scientist, I'm competing with Google, I'm competing with Stripe. I'm, you know. We're hiring, by the way. Okay, <laughs> we'll talk about that in a minute. And it, it's difficult here in, in Southeast Asia, right, to hire yep. because, you know, there's a lot of competition. You know, I can still work for DBS Bank and get a good, you know, salary and so on. So we're seeing very much a, a huge interest in startups and starting businesses, whether like a lot of the people on your platform, I guess, are starting it 
you know, as a side hustle and then yep. sort of developing into a full-blown business, right? Yes. So this is happening. There's like 5 million startups in in Asia yep. predicted or, you know, that, that's a very rough figure. Here in, in Singapore, there's something like five to 10,000 startups, yep. what you call a startup. Yep. You know, it's like if you say self-employed, you know, it's hundreds of thousands, yep. right? So all of this is happening, right? Let's put that out there. And mm -hmm. of that group, there are people trying to raise funds, mm -hmm. right? And they're seeing, you know, like Shark Tank and they're seeing, you know, like the pitch competitions and so on. And then let's bring in the angel investors. Mm -hmm. And here in um, Southeast Asia, there are a lot of high net worth individuals, yep. um, you know, doctors or professionals who have money, people who are retired, people who are from family offices. Yeah, they're not really angel investors. Mm -hmm. They're saying, you know, why should I invest in your startup when in the equities market I can get 12% return or in yep. retail I can get 10%, you know, and they're, they're comparing it to other asset classes, right? Mm -hmm. So we're seeing huge growth in startups, lots of interest in, in investing in startups. Yeah, there's a, there's a big gap at the moment because actually of those angel investors, very few understand startups. Mm -hmm. You know, what we need is like the Silicon Valley second generation um, angel investors, people who have exited, yep. you know, the PayPals and all these people exit, invest in startups, you have 50,000 here, 50,000 here, no problem. We're not there yet in oh, Singapore. We'll what, take that. What, what do you see? Tell us a little bit about from the coalface view, because you deal with startups every day. What are yep. you seeing at the moment? Tell us typically who's coming through the door. What are their challenges? What are their pains? You know, what kind of conversations are they having? Uh, in terms of fundraising or in Every, general? Everything, general, the whole spread of conversations. So we help almost any type of startup. I, I even sometimes tell a lot of people that our platform is not necessarily for startups, but for anybody wanting to start a business. Um, I personally think there's not that much difference between doing an e-commerce platform and start a, starting a hawker uh, stall. Mm. It's maybe different in how you do your validation, but actually the steps of building the company are very much similar. Um, it's, it's very different. I do feel that what most entrepreneurs struggle with and what I struggled with a lot myself as well when I started out is actually figuring out what is your product market fit to put it in startup language, basically figuring out what is my customer and what does that customer need. Um, the, 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 first, the first problem that almost everybody runs into, I experienced this problem, I've got a great idea, I'm going to fix it this way. Hmm. And now I find out that nobody cares. Um, that, that, that's probably the first hurdle that, that we try to help a lot of uh, founders figure out how to, how to get more, let's say, scientific about it, more experimental about it, really figure out if that really is a problem that people are willing to pay for. Um, obviously, everybody's complaining about fundraising, mm. like you already said. Um, I actually very much did the same thing myself when I started my, my first uh, startup investor. You, you read all these articles about Mark Zuckerberg, about Steve Jobs, about uh, every company that raised last month. And then at some point you're like, I've been working on this for half a year and I, I didn't make 100 million yet and I didn't raise yet and I'm mm. not in the papers yet. What am I doing wrong? It's actually very much the other way around. These guys are in the papers and in the, in the media channels because they're the exception. Um, but it took me quite a while to actually figure that out too. The, for the fundraising, for the people that, that we work with, one of the things I always try to explain them right away is um, if I ask you right now, give me $100, what's going to be your first question? Hmm. Typically, it's going to be why, right? Yeah. So, and then I'm going to give you some kind of story mm. and then I'm going to convince you probably not if I ask you right now here on the spot. And that's going to apply for probably 99 out of the 100 people. That's exactly what fundraising is as well. But for some reason, a lot of founders think if they have a very good idea, they, th that should come across right away to the investors. Yeah. Um, and, and, and then they will get funding and that's, yeah. that's, it doesn't happen anywhere in life. So why would it happen for fundraising for your business? It's, it's very hard to do. So and to actually get there, it, you have to be very structured and build it up and make a logical story, etc. So I want to ask about that. What, what is that gap between, you know, I have a great idea and 
the investor gets what I'm doing, what, what tends to be the missing part here? Like, what do you find when you're putting people in your platform and you're seeing them go and talk to investors? Where do they usually sort of fall down? Um, what's in it for the investor? Yeah. Um, do they even think about that? Well, I mean, it depends. Right. Uh, of course, there's plenty of founders who, who, who manage to raise funds and who, therefore, in my opinion, do it right. But it's not so interesting for the investor why you think your company is good. You mm. have to explain the investor why it's good for him or her. Right. So, In what terms? I mean, is that, you know, where's my exit or how does this benefit society or whatever what, what are the best ways to answer that question um it depends in my opinion a little bit what type of investor you're going after yeah. so angels is very different from professional investors mm. professional investors you can approach a little bit more uh structured because they have a fund with a purpose and an industry focus etc etc so you can first of all leverage on that then there's of course the human connection that's not something that we can help on that that that's there or it's not um then from there it's really about are you running a business do you have the numbers the traction mm. uh, the team set up um is the id actually making sense is it scalable and ultimately is the one dollar that that investor is going to put into your co a company going to be ten ten dollars mm. That, that's in the end the ultimate question I don't think there's any investor who will turn you down and you, if you can convince him that you can make $10 out of one so here's the thing this is a really interesting conversation we have an online demo day in April which is demo day 2 so mm -hmm. there's like 10 startups and obviously when this goes out it may change so they're all kind of different levels yep. and exactly what you say is that you know if you can show believably that an investor can get a return yep. and we like each other and yep. I believe in you. It should be, you know, for the startup founder, yours to lose really, you know, yep. you should be able to get that deal depending on you have got the right investor. Mm -hmm. Again, going back to the high net worth, there's plenty of people who don't really have the money ready to write a check. For example, yeah. there's a lot of people who've got it locked up in real estate. Yeah, yeah, get those yeah. guys out of the way. Yeah, the, yeah. the people who can write checks, yeah. right? Yet go back to, you know, for example, Nicholas Taleb writes about the black swan. Yep. And, you know, and if you look at people like Paul Graham, Y Combinator, and I know you, yep. you've, you've taken Y Combinator courses, so you're familiar yeah. with them, right? It's like Paul Graham says that, you know, here's the thing about startups is that pretty much all the returns are concentrated in a very few, a small group. Yep. Right. So maybe it's your, like you said, one in 10. So let's have to get 10x, right? So one in 10, I'm going to invest in 10 and one is going to be going to be worth all my 10 or my nine lost investments. That's exactly. how it works, right? Yeah. Yet when I pitch to you, startup founder to investor, the best ideas are often seen as the worst ideas. You know, what Paul Graham says is that often bad ideas are great ideas in disguise, right? Because like Airbnb, Uber, when those were first pitched, people said, look, get the hell out. That is mm -hmm. a terrible idea. Yep. And, you know, if it was obvious, then it would have been done, obviously, right? Yes. You know, but it takes that person to rock up with a crazy idea that nobody gets. And then, you know, everybody says, nah, get out, get out. I, I, don't, I really don't get what you're trying to say. But one yeah. person says, yeah, actually, I really get that. Mm -hmm. Like that sort of, you know, I spot the talent and your yeah. idea in that. And this, this is the challenge. So the point being is that, in, in the ecosystem here in, in Asia, there's a lot of platforms which promote good ideas. Mm -hmm. So pitch competitions, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's the best idea wins. Yeah. Yet these guys aren't the ones who are going to be the black swans, right? The black uh, swans are the ones that kind of, oh, nobody voted for them, right? They're the ones that kind of, you know, they're the drop boxes or the Ubers and so on. So this is our challenge in the industry. How do we deal with that? Because... How, you know, investors are looking for black swans, right? Mm -hmm. They're looking for those huge returns, especially the professional yep. investors, right? So in a sense, the whole ecosystem here in Asia is geared towards good and very average ideas that are going to yep. get average returns. What do we do about that? So <laughs> there's a lot. I know. I'm, 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 I'm definitely going to plug our platform Absolutely. because of this. That's why you're here. Like, like I said at the start, we're, we want to be a data-driven online accelerator. And exactly for that reason, um, 
I've been investing myself since I was very young and I've never had uh, advisors to actually do that for me other than my father. And so, so I basically learned it from my father how to do that. When I was 21, I did my first angel investment and I went from there. In, in Holland? In, in, in Holland, yes. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because yeah, this, 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 is, this is like when people say angel investment, we want to you know, put 500 in a crowdfunding platform or did you write a check for a company? Uh, it, it was through a fund, so an angel, angel network basically. Yeah. Uh, so the first company I invested in was a company called Behold. I'm not even sure if they still exist, to be honest. Yeah. But it was a role-based data uh, access uh, software, so it would help very large banks or, or big corporates to actually onboard people in their company and manage all the access to all the different uh, IT systems. Basically, how it works is you you syndicate a couple of angels. So in our case, I think we were six angels. Uh, we were investing in companies that were, if you would put it in startup terms, probably stage B, mm. so not really seed or A. Um, when I did that at the time, to be honest, I had no clue what I was doing. I was just in 21. How old were you then? Yeah, I was 21. Okay. But w what I mean in terms of investment, like doing a proper analysis and yeah, looking yeah. at the business, I, I was working for, a, uh, no, I was still studying actually. Um, I, I went for the company because my father said it was a good idea. Yeah. I thought it was interesting and I had the money to do it. Right. How much did you write the check for? I think 50,000 euros. 50,000 yeah. euros yeah. for a 21 year old. That's quite a lot. Yeah, so so maybe to explain this a little bit because otherwise it's. Um, I actually made my first money when I was twelve. Yeah, and not as in a, angel investing, surely. No, no, no. As a, <laughs> as a as a street musician, right. So uh, I read a book at the time about kids uh, who were living on the streets in Paris in the eighteen hundreds, and they basically made money cleaning chimneys and being street musicians. Uh, we have something in the Netherlands called King's Day. It's every year, it's a really big happening where people sell all their stuff on the streets. And I had just read the book, so I figured I will play on the street as uh, like in the book, and I made some money. And I kept on doing that for a few years. Playing what? Uh, at first a flute, later on I was playing a clarinet. Okay. So by the time I was 12, I had a few thousand euros made from that. Um, basically, I told my parents, I'm going to buy this really big stereo. And my parents were like, no, you're not. <laughs> so my parents were like, okay, you can have this tiny radio and the rest we're going to do something smart with. So that went into the company that my father was working at at the time. Um, over the years, by the time I was 18, that IPO on the Dutch stock exchange, mm. internet bubble, etc. So a lot of luck, to be honest. Um, yeah, and that basically set me up to later on be able to be an angel. Right. Okay. Well, it's a great story. So you you made your money yourself, your first on the yes. street hustling. Yes. <laughs> you invested in your dad's company. Usually it's the other way around, isn't it? Usually dad invests in your company, and then so. But anyway, you yeah. invested in his company. Well, he bought my flute. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. There you go. Fine. He can take his management fee, right? So you invested in his company, IPO'd. You got some cash at twenty-one. You did an angel investment. You wrote a check for fifty thousand in a company. Yep. Um, did you get your money back? Yes. Yeah. What, what, how did you exit on that? Uh, eight times. Eight times? Yeah. And how did that happen? Was it acquired or IPO'd again? So so I've done four angel investments uh, then, between then and between I came here. Yeah. And now I've actually tried to exit everything to do my own startup. Um, the, the, the way it usually went in our case is very often at some point there, be, there, there would be discussions with the management. Uh, what I learned from doing that is actually that very often the founders are not the best managers yeah. uh, to actually grow a business. Some of them are, but a lot of them weren't. Um, in our case, because they were syndicated deals, we usually had a lifetime uh, of about five to ten years maximum. So at anywhere between five and ten years, everybody would start asking, like, how we, can we get out? Um, that went different ways. So in in some cases, uh, it would just get sold to a competitor. In other cases, there would be a follow-up round. Yeah. Um, in my personal case, this was managed by the Angel Network. So getting those follow-ups and, and making sure that the, the, the equity got sold. Um, I was mostly there to learn. I mean, I had a regular job. This was not my profession in that sense to, mm. to, to figure out what needed to be done. But do it's you, very interesting to see anyway. Do you think you were lucky or do you think you Definitely. just... Definitely. You, you must 
because you just happen to be in, you got a start obviously through your dad and the yep. IPO but you go all the way back to your 12 as well that wasn't yep. just luck that was a lot of hard work wasn't it to get into the game must have been I mean you didn't I didn't see it like that somebody didn't give you the money and said okay go and invest this in this company that's going to IPO right so you, you worked hard to get the money in the yeah, first yeah, yeah so, so okay if, I've, I've worked my entire life that's kind of how I'm raised right. um being a street musician, I mainly did for fun. I made money too, but I mean, I had a house with my parents and I got food right, and right. everything. So. You, you, you weren't hustling to get fed for the, but yeah. still, okay, the point but, is you did that. And the reason why I ask is, I mean, it sort of puts this into context. We're here in Asia mm-hmm. and, um, you know, I see people investing in startups here yep. in Asia and I see startups founders as well. Yep. And one thing that you obviously have done and one thing I don't see enough of here is hustle. Mm-hmm. And from the startup side, there isn't enough hustle in the sense that, you know, let's say I raise a million dollars in funds and we're seeing seed rounds now of a million plus, right? Mm-hmm. I raise a million. I saw, uh, you know, one of the first things that they may do is go and spend, you know, a hundred thousand on a new office mm-hmm. or buy a domain name for a hundred thousand. Yep. This sort of crazy. <laughs> You know, if, if you've come from the world of hustle, you you like every single euro counts, right? Yes. You know, you, like when you were hustling on the street. I mean, that's the sort of world that I yeah, came yeah, from, yeah, yeah. building startups from zero yeah. and with your own money, bootstrapping the whole thing, right? Yep. And then raising funds is a bonus, yep. right? Rather than the goal. Yep. So that from that side and from the angel side, there are people who maybe haven't been in the startup world, but want to get into it. And yet, so they don't kind of understand what, an angel should be doing or mm-hmm. how they should be investing. So really an angel should be saying, here's 10% of my port, my wealth. I put that into startups. If I lose it, I lose it. You know, I don't want to get a return on every single one and yeah. make, you know, be, you know, I do want to get a return on every single one, but I'm not expecting it. Yeah. I'm not seeing enough of that here in, especially here in Singapore, you know, so th- there's a bit of a gap. I and mean, what do you see from the people that you're speaking to on a daily basis? No, so, so, I think you're totally right. Most of the angels here, they, they made their money in traditional businesses. Mm. So they don't have the initial mindset of we should invest in this for it beca- uh, for it to become very valuable in five years from now, which typically is the mindset of a lot of entrepreneurs here, mm. especially if they're in the e-commerce space or in the tech space or, or, or something that you need to invest in a lot first before it can actually scale to start paying revenue first and then dividends later. Um, so there's a gap in, be- in, in between there. Um, I actually think it's very healthy for the entrepreneurs to have that discussion with the angels because eventually there is no purpose in building a business that's never going to make money. Yeah. That's called a hobby. Yeah, exactly. Oh, you have a hobby, that's fine. Yeah, but. <laughs> I mean, I mean it's, it's totally fine, but yeah. find sponsors or do it with your own yeah. money. <laughs> yeah. it's, um, but, a, but a company eventually needs to have a road to, to making returns. Yeah. Um, the hard part is, and that's, that's where we try to help the, the, the founders in their talks to angels, very dif- it's very often very difficult to show a lot of credible financial traction early stage. Mm. There's it's belief, isn't it? A lot of the time, isn't it? Yes. So, um, I mean, if, if you're early stage, you just launch your platform, you might have users, you might have active users, you might have one or two contracts, but the numbers are never going to be credible for an yeah. angel who comes from a factory background with a margin on every product of 25%. You're absolutely right. It's the comparison, isn't it? Because yeah. I think what you can see and maybe what somebody, a second generation angel can see, you know, I've yep. exited, I'm reinvesting, yep. is patterns. You know, I know what an entrepreneur should be, yeah. you know, what sort of attitude towards how yeah. they speak, how they think about it, how they hustle. I can see all that in the package, yeah. right? Yeah. If, I, if I've sort of, you know, have my pension or my CPF fund or my 401k and I'm investing, yeah. I have, don't have that experience, you know, that sort of gut instinct that I can yeah. sit with you and say, yeah, he speaks like somebody I know and I've had yeah. success with them and that's yeah. sort of missing isn't it because yeah. just because they got money they don't have those kind of radars for I, I don't know what that is that I can really sense you know because I, I don't have the numbers like you say yeah I can't see the financial traction so I'm betting on you as an individual and you to me I, I'm 
measuring that based on my all my interactions with previous entrepreneurs, right? Yep. And what I've seen fail the successes and so on. And that's the missing part, isn't it? Angels yeah. having that kind of like antenna. Well, I mean, and I, I, I guess the average angel would be probably around 50, not 21. Yeah. Um, that means they probably made their money doing a business somewhere in the 80s or 90s. When you wanted to get a loan because you didn't do a lot of equity at the time, you had to write a business plan. And one of the most important things in your business plan was your projections based on what you were making now. And now you're asking that same person 30 years later right. who've made, who's made a lot of money based on that approach. Hey, dude, I've got this idea. Yeah. It looks really good. There, I have a lot of users who don't pay anything, but trust me, it's going to be great. <laughs> exactly. And we're a taxi company, for example. So oh, well, I mean, <laughs> there you go. I mean, it's a completely different world, isn't it? Yeah. Well, what, what can we do? I mean, how can we help the startup ecosystem, Robin? Because I think we, we both sort of are very much involved in taking people, really, at the end of the day, these are people's lives. These are people's dreams. Like, yeah. you know, and we've got to help them, educate them, you know clean up the, yep. the business models, put them in front of the right people, connect them with so on. And this is sort of this interesting handover where you sort of take them to traction and maybe getting their first numbers and then, you know, in front of investors. And we're yep. very much like, okay, now we're putting them in front of investors and bringing investors to look at these, yep. you know, creating that hype around the, yep. the, the pitch, if you like. How can we help? What, what do you think is still, there is work to do? What do we need to do? So I, I very much believe we need to get back a little bit to being data-driven in that sense. Mm. Um, if you're an early stage startup, you might not have all the revenue data and all the financial data that typically an investor would like to see, ideally speaking, but you have a lot of other traction or you should have a lot of other traction. If you, if you haven't learned anything in six months, or in one year, it's never going to happen. Exactly. I'm sorry. You're in the wrong business. <laughs> uh, but but if you did it right, you should have gone through iterations of your uh, product. And it should show that the one that you did first yeah. was worse than the one that you did 10th, uh, at the 10th it, it, sorry, iteration. Um, if you have seriously built on your business, you are aware that you should have done some legal work. There's very few investors who will just put any money into a company that's not registered, that doesn't have proper terms and conditions, IP protection, etc. So there's actually a lot of data that potentially a startup over time can uh, gather hmm. and show to the investor and then extrapolate on like you would do in the, old, in the old days with your business plan. I think actually making sure that you gather that data, putting it together and putting that in front of the investors in a, in a, in a proper way, it kind of will bridge that gap also in the, in yeah. the discussion. Well, what data are you talking about then? Um, Give us some quick wins. Not obviously sales data, but what do you, or maybe sales data, but it sounds well, like so, maybe so. So like I else. said, for example, the validation, let's use the startup body, for example. We initially had a fundraising score. So we came up with this calculation that would tell you right away, you're going to be 65% certain of getting funded right. in three months of now. Yeah. Looking back, that was really stupid. <laughs> but it's a number you can move up and down, though. That's the point, it's, isn't it's it? It's a number. Wh wh whether it's 6.5 or 65, you can increase it or decrease it, right? That's the point. Yeah, You're giving but, people a yeah, but my point is more that the way we came up with it and the way we th we thought was very uh, smart, nobody was actually using it. It was a hypothesis, right? Yeah, so. it was like a very <laughs> theoretical approach that wasn't very practical. All right, okay. So uh, within our platform, it didn't do anything. Like people weren't using it. They didn't understand what it was for. It was just like this score that came falling out of the sky and you didn't know what it, what it added to your company. Yeah. Now, over time, we've been working on tools to get mentoring uh, online, which is something that we learned over time that almost any founder looks for. But one of the things that we do in that as well is actually keeping track of how much you have been mentored and uh, how much mentoring you've implemented over time building your business. Right. So that gives data to the investor. Mm. Have you been learning from somebody with more experience? This is a really interesting point. I always hear from investors when they sit with startups, one of the questions they'll, they'll ask or they'll talk about after the startup is left is, is this founder coachable? Yep. Will they take on advice? And what they're really interesting is, this is point A, yep. this is point A plus three months. Yep. Did they actually take on board any of the advice that we gave them in the first meeting or did they just completely ignore it? Because that's really indicative Yep. If you advise a startup and they 
completely ignore it. That is the sign. That's a red flag for yep. any investor, right? Yep. So can this startup take on board feedback, advice, yep. mentoring, and yep. implement it positively? Yeah, that, and, and that's exactly what we're tr trying to make visible. Hmm. Um, quite a few investors ask me, like, can you prove that the data that is going to be in your platform is not going to be gamed? No, I probably at this point cannot avoid that. But the fact of the matter at the moment is that if uh, entrepreneurs go to an investor, they have a pitch deck, that's all the information you're getting at this point. Yeah, that is gamed, effectively. <laughs> that's, right? that's for sure gamed. Yeah, it's polished. <laughs> so, because I'm not going right. to it, uh, put it in there, all the stuff that went wrong yeah. along the way. Uh, in our platform, we build a track record over whatever time you're building your company in our platform for. And that's going to be visible to the investor once you fundraise uh, with them. That's a lot more reliable as what the investors currently have. Yeah, I, I really love what you're doing. And I, I really think there's a way that we can work together. We just need to sit down and, and hammer it out. I, you know, your background, I love your approach to it. You're, you're sort of my type of entrepreneur, which is Thank like, you, you know, <laughs> I, I think you understand how to grow a business from zero, right? Mm -hmm. And you, it's, you know, I think if you get a lot of funding, it can hide a lot of sins. You know, you know, for yep. example, it doesn't necessarily test entrepreneurs yep. to really develop their muscle. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if you overfeed any kind of animal, it's going to get fat and lazy, right? Yep. But you've got to keep entrepreneurs a little bit hungry. So I, li I like all that sort of like the, the hustle that you brought to the table and so on and how you're give, putting data in place because I think that data creates a for the startup founder discipline Mm -hmm. which they they have that discipline, but they don't necessarily, like you say, understand the, all those kind of building blocks necessary from an investor's standpoint as well, or from like growing a business standpoint. It can, it can save a lot of time wasted in learning that. So that, I mean, that's great as well. And what we focus on is what we call the emotional due diligence, mm -hmm. which is that you have the data, where people make the decision is that the data guides the decision, but at the end of the day, do we like each other, right? And I can only get that by actually hearing Robin's story yep. and, you know, like I, I connect and maybe I can use some logical post-rationalization of why we get yeah. on, but maybe we just get on because we get on, right? Yeah, and yeah. that investors and founders, that's that's the you know, starting point of that relationship, yep. right? So, you know, I, I'm really curious about how we can sort of, you know, connect with the data that you're gathering i mean for example um in our pitch day we have like in our demo day we have 10 startups you know and obviously the basic data is there like for example round raise size category you know basic definition of solution and then you have the video but what kind of data could we add there really you know with your your investors your fundraising score what yep. would really sort of like spike that what are the quick wins where somebody can say okay we can get this startup buddy data mm -hmm. for this startup you know let's sort of talk about the quick wins that they could implement you know to help really raise their fundability score if there was such a thing what sort of things could they do um what we currently mostly focus on is making a time series what have you been doing when? And we do that on different levels. So we do that on, for example, how have you been developing your team? Is your team skilled to actually do what they're supposed to do? And if not, have you, for example, trained them or let them do extra work to actually learn the skills that they don't have? A lot of startups, they hire very young people uh, for all kinds of reasons. So it typically means that you don't have all the skills in the team at the moment you hire them, but you can still get them there. Um, we keep track of how you've been building that team. Why you, when you hire person two, three, four, five, and what skills they have been working on until you get to the fundraising. Every investor I've talked to wants to know about the team. But how do they typically look at the team? They go to LinkedIn and they look at the pitch deck picture. Yeah. I'm not so sure what that tells me about your team. <laughs> they, what they look like. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, um, we will never get around what you just mentioned, like the 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 soft part of fundraising. You still want to talk to the mm. to the team probably and to the founder, but get a, getting a little bit more background information. Have you actually invested in the right things to develop that team for that specific company for that specific approach? That that's what we um, collect in the, in the startup body, and that actually investor will be able to see 
at the moment of pitching or fundraising or whatever. Mentoring I already mentioned. Yeah. Uh, validation. Most investors will tell me, well, I will figure out if the entrepreneur has been validating by seeing how much knowledge he has. Hmm. But the real story is that there are some founders who are just great at pitching yeah. and selling whatever they, wa they want. Yeah. It might still not mean that they actually They're the know white they're swans, right? That's the point. They're the white swans who, can, who are great at pitching. <coughs> I think there's even founders who just do pitch competitions. That's their business model. Right? Uh, I, 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 I for sure know of you. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and that's good for them. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, that's not bad. But the other side of the story, there's people who really crap at pitching, but might be building great companies. Google, for example. Yeah, they were awful. So, so um, if I'm an investor, I want to do the mm. best bet. I want to meet those guys too. So, can you are you quantifying that in a way, or you know, because again, you can gain that information, right? I can tell you, I did like 300 validation tests, and what, how, how do you actually sort of make sure that that data that you're collecting about mentoring, validation, and everything is legitimate and not gameable? How, how does it work? Um, so, the data we've gathered so far is very flat. Uh, it didn't have iterations. So, but basically, whatever you put in is what what yeah. comes out, similar to a pitch deck. But within the toolkits, it's through iterations from using the using the different tools. Um, the score that we actually make, we have developed last year by using uh, a platform called uh, from the Netherlands called Golden Egg Check, which is used for for fundraising. And that company has analyzed 15, 15 pitches in the past ten years that they've been in business. So we we've leveraged on that knowledge too, to actually get to our own score like how to measure progress for this particular uh, startup at this particular point in time, mm. we're still we're still working on. We haven't, we, I cannot say that we have fixed, like, yeah. this is credible progress, you should follow the Startup Buddy Index. Right, okay. How, how is it different? I mean, there are other sort of platforms out there, like Hatch, and yep. Hatch, you know, who, who try, well, I think effectively their model and I uh, like what they're doing is, is to crunch the numbers and just yep. kind of de-risk yep. the, 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 you know, the, the, well, at least try and filter the noise out on the, on, mm -hmm. on the basis of the numbers, yep. um, you know, similar in identifying the problem, right. With all of us, right. Yep. Which is like, you know, how do, there's a lot of noise out there. How do we find the really good startups yep. and, and, you know, how do we help them? How do we help them? get in front of the right investors so there's, there's that a problem i mean how, how would they be different from what you're doing for example well so that's mostly working back in time right i'm looking at this company or this industry right now uh what has probably happened in the past hmm. uh what can i de deduce from that and what are the good companies to go to go for we're not working back in time we we let's say i have 10 10 entrepreneurs starting on the startup body today hmm they want to raise funding in a year from now. Um, they're all going to be in the F&B space. They're all going to have a different way of, of uh, developing over time. And it could be that one of them has been really good on developing their product, but they haven't had any traction. But it's very mature when they get to fundraise. The other company has had a lot of traction because they have bought a lot of Facebook ads or whatever. Yeah. But the product is still basically an Android uh, 0.1 version. We as the startup body don't have opinion about that. That's, that's the investor's job. But the investor is at least able to compare those 10 different companies to each other and then decide on their own taste of, of what they want to invest in, what they think is the best approach for this particular company. Based on their, their journal, their le the longitudinal journey yeah. that they've been on. That's yeah. what you're capturing. So you started on the platform in 2019. Yep. You're on the platform for a year. You captured that journey. Exactly. And I'm fundraising May 2020. An investor can go in May 2020 and look back and see all that sort of captured data. Is that yeah. Yeah. how it works? Exactly. All right. Because so I know for investors that that sort of between point A and point B is really important because if I just yep. look at you point B, yep. it's a one dimensional view of who you are. But if I can see that as a journey, I can see, you know, uh, you know as you well, said, so what actually caused that and what did I learn in the process? So, so one of the uh, large VCs here in Singapore told me already a year ago, like what the, wh what's the main thing of his job? He told me it's pattern recognition. Hmm. What do we com use computers for nowadays? Yeah, right. 
Yeah. So why are we using analysts and humans to do that for us? Habit. Uh, yeah. yeah, I agree. But m my point is, we should make it possible to actually create that pattern yeah. when it's actually happening and then compare it. I'm thinking of an ideal situation mm -hmm. and it's product vision as we talk now through this conversation. So we do these online demo days and let's say we have 20 people um, from Southeast Asia doing their demos and you know, they've come through your platform, for example, so that they've done a year on startup buddy mm -hmm. and now they're raising. So they came to you and said, look, I want to build this. I want to raise funds. And a percentage of them a year later are out in the market yep. raising funds, right? Not everybody wants to raise funds. And nope. It's not always the goal, is it? I mean, let's nope. put it out there. Those that do want to raise funds, you know, then are here on pitch deck and they're then presenting to the angel investors and, the emotional due diligence is this conversation, mm -hmm. right? So yeah. let's oh. find out about you. Um, basic numbers, ticket size, round, et cetera, yep. et cetera. Yep. So let's say it's a health tech mm -hmm. like demo day. So we have all the health tech investors looking and then we're gathering this data from Startup Buddy, which is say, okay, I'm going into these this, this med tech device company. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at them, where are they now? They, they have their prototype. Let's go back so I can then go into Startup Buddy and go back through that journey yep. and look at them that due diligence is really powerful. Yeah. I mean, if I go to, who would it be, like AngelList or F-Success, I can get all the funding data. Mm -hmm. That's there. Yep. But this really important part about team building, about testing and so on, yep. that would be, for an investor, something that's not out there already. Uh, no, it's not. So, so as far as I'm aware, the best data is currently collected by CB Insights worldwide in right. terms of VC funding. They do every year, they do a research on how the VC funding market has grown over time. The one from last year, 2018, they say themselves, this is what they're lacking in their data. Hmm. They are still depending on people updating their company's information on their platform, which in my case, I haven't done for two years. Hmm. So, <laughs> right. you mean on your, your data for yeah for the startup, startup buddy? Okay, so, yeah. so, so my I, I even forget where it is. So yeah. that's the problem. Right. No, so all of us we have all these profiles yeah, 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 on yeah. AngelList, on CB Insights, on TechCrunch, etc. Yeah. And every nine months we're like, oh crap, I forgot about that. I forgot about yeah. that. Right. That's that's what the most reliable research in the world is done based yeah. on. Yeah, uh, where for big companies this would be totally unacceptable. If you if you're trading on the Dow Jones or on the NASDAQ mm. and uh, Google uh, Alphabet would say, well, we'll give you an update in nine months from now, but you yeah. can do your pricing today. Yeah, that's the problem. So that's effectively what we're doing for startups. Yeah, yeah. And then making it live and updated. On a for example, like your LinkedIn profile, yep. you know, if you can go in and you, you keep that up to date, right? I mean, everybody yep. keeps their profiles up yep. to date because it's relevant. Yep. Very interesting. I, I think we are... A very interesting stage here, especially in Asia, especially Southeast Asia. You know, the growth of the early stage startups, yep. you know, and the early stage funding as well, where so, you know, the later stage, so forget the micro funds, more of the, you know, the A round plus mm -hmm. funds. Yep. So, you know, there's, there's a huge, I think there's like 25 micro funds here in in Singapore writing checks of like $50,000. I mean, mm -hmm. they're everywhere. Everybody from like INSEAD alumni to whoever. So they're there. The later stage funds are looking at spreadsheets effectively. Right? Yep. And they're just, you know, who, who's the lead investor, you know, and all those kind of things. Yeah, th this sort of growth in this, this early stage, so much of it is done on that sort of profiling. Like, you know, uh, do you look like an investor or an investment that I have been successful with before? Just like yeah, you, yeah. you've had success. You've got yeah. to look for something like that, right? Yeah. And then how can I de-risk this? Mm -hmm. I don't have a team of analysts, right? Mm -hmm. I need a platform like Startup Buddy and I need to see the person, Pitch Deck Asia, yeah. you know, to build this marketplace in Asia. Yeah. You know, I think it's an exciting time. Five million startups, Robin, what do you say? Well, uh, <laughs> sign up to the startup buddy. Yeah, let's do it. All right, cool. Um, you heard it here. So just so people know, where are you sort of in your, your product development yourself? Where are you? I mean, you know, you said it's not complete in terms of like the algorithm and so on. You still, it's work in progress. Obviously, it's never complete, maybe. No, so, so um, I think for our accelerator, we now have a very good understanding of, of what we're 
missing and we're basically stuck at the moment mostly on the resources to actually build quicker. Mm. So the toolkits that I was mentioning, um, <clears throat> I think we have a very good understanding what the entrepreneurs need to actually use our platform on a day-to-day -day basis and, and make it much more interactive as it used to be. Um, on the fundraising, like you already said, how to actually do the time series over time, how to make the data totally usable for investors we're now trying out. So last week I was talking to a few investors who said, okay, how are you going to make this data reliable for me to actually want to use it? How are you going to do this and this and this? Hmm. Um, that we're still very much working on. And in terms of growth, we're doing really well. Uh, we launching this month in the Philippines uh, through a partner over there, and we hope to launch in India this month or next month as well. So the way we're growing across Asia now is through partnerships. We don't have the team yet to actually set up ourselves in all these different countries. And um, I'm expecting a lot from that, simply because we already know for sure that our platform is even much more useful to entrepreneurs outside Singapore mm. uh, as, it for, as it is for entrepreneurs here. Because here you, in the end, have a lot of different support systems. But really, if you Philippines India. compared to Singapore, yeah, India, there's virtually nothing there. There's, yeah. uh, I read a PwC report, there's apparently only 15 VC funds in all of Philippines, yeah. uh, which is absolutely nothing if yeah, you yeah, look I'm at sure. the scale of the country. But in my opinion, it's impossible that there's not just as many good entrepreneurs over there. Hmm. They're just not able to actually get to the level uh, that they're uh, getting known enough and that they uh, actually are able to scale outside their village or, or whatever, which is what we're making possible with our platform. Excellent. Robin Turlings, everybody, from the Startup Buddy. Robin, thank you so much for coming into the Pitch Deck studio today and sharing your journey and your vision for the Startup Buddy. Any way we can work together and support you, just let us know. Love what you're doing. Um, you know, you're very much part of a, a macro meta trend here in Asia. And let's see if we can help these guys get you know up their learning curve and help them get funding. So that's the Startup Buddy, everybody. Thank you so much today. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show.